life. Thank you for daily provision, for food and shelter. We thank you for family and friends, the love and the support and the care that we receive through them. God, we thank you for work. Thank you for the tasks that you have given us to do. Thank you that we can make meaningful contributions in this world to make it a better place. Father, we thank you for our country. We thank you for the many blessings we enjoy here. We thank you for freedom. We thank you for the freedom to to worship as we do, even this morning. We thank you for this church. Thank you for the encouragement and the fellowship that we experience here. Thank you for growth that we experience in this community. Father, we thank you that you have revealed yourself to us through your son. Jesus Christ, we, we thank you for the life that we have in him. Thank you that through him we stand forever justified in your sight, that we have peace with you because of Jesus. Father, for some, as we gather here this morning, the act of giving thanks springs easily from our hearts and our mouths. But for others, it is an act of obedience as we find ourselves in a place of loss, confusion, hurt, and disappointment. But even here, Father, we acknowledge that it is right to give you thanks. And so we do. We choose to say thank you for those things that we are facing, for they lead us to acknowledge our absolute dependence upon you. Father, finally, we thank you for your word. Thank you for how you reveal yourself to us through it. Uh, You reveal yourself through creation, but it was never enough. We need revelation, and through your word, you have revealed yourself to us, that we might know you, that we might know your ways, that we might know wisdom. And so, Father, as we turn to your word now, we pray that you would speak to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Proverbs 13, 20, we've looked at this before in this sermon series, but it says, one who walks with the wise will be wise, but a companion of fools will suffer harm. One who walks with wise people will be wise, but a companion of fools will suffer harm. Who are you walking with? Seriously, who are the people that influence you? How you think and how you act. Who are you walking with? The proverb says that if you um, walk with wise people, you will become wise. But if the people that you're letting influence how you think and act are fools in some sense, chances are you will become foolish. And so who are you walking with? One of the very first sermons in this series, Steve asked us a very simple but important question. He asked us, do you want to become wise? Remember that? And uh, I'm assuming most of us said yes, right? Who wants to become foolish? We say yes, we want to become wise. And so if we want to become wise, we must pay attention to the people that we walk with. We need to walk with wise people. We need to walk with Jesus. He is wisdom from God. Today we're wrapping up our sermon series on becoming wise, a matter of life and death. And uh, we hope that this has spurred you on to seek wisdom in your life as as we've looked at some of the, the wisdom literature in the scriptures, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, the book of Job. As we've looked at examples of wisdom, Daniel and Joseph and Solomon, these books and these examples are given 
for our instruction to make us wise. Today we're going to consider Jesus because any attempt to understand wisdom would, would be woefully inadequate without looking at Jesus because he is wisdom from God. And so that's what we're going to look at today as we wrap up this sermon series. My hope is that each of us who are seekers of wisdom will leave here today with a renewed or maybe even a new desire to seek and to walk with Jesus. And so what we're going to do, we're going to look at some passage for, passages from the, the Gospels that, that reveal Jesus, his wisdom and his teaching in his life, as well as uh, some direct teaching about his wisdom in a passage in the, one of the letters of Paul. Jesus is wise. He's the ultimate source of wisdom. And so let's start by looking at Jesus' wisdom in the Gospels. I want to look at one account from when he was a child first in Luke chapter 2. Obviously, we, we have very little information about Jesus as a young person, right? There's some things about his, in his infancy, but we really have this one passage from when he was a child, and it speaks about his wisdom. In Luke 2, we read twice about Jesus' growing wisdom. In the first part of chapter 2 of Luke, Luke writes about how Jesus' parents, they've, according to the law, they have brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. And at the very end of that passage in Luke 2.40, it says, Now the child continued to grow and become strong, increasing in wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. About 12 verses later, in 2.52, it says, And Jesus kept increasing in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and people. Jesus kept increasing in wisdom. And so these two statements about Jesus growing in wisdom, they bracket the one story we have about Jesus as a child, and it's a story about his wisdom. And so I want to read this. Most of you know the story when Jesus was 12, his parents, again, they travel up to Jerusalem for the feast of Passover, as it says they did every year. But Luke tells us this year when Jesus is 12, something different happens. Verse 43, and it says, and as they were returning after spending the full number of days required, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but his parents were unaware of it. Instead, they thought that he was somewhere in the caravan, and they went a day's journey, and they began looking for him among their relatives and acquaintances. And when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem looking for him. Then after three days, they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the teachers, both listening to them and asking them questions. A Jewish Boy was considered a man when he turned 13, right? But Jesus, 12, he is still just considered a boy. And yet here he is sitting among the scribes and the rabbis as a learner. And he's not sort of like, look, you know, kind of on the edge of the circle looking in. I mean, he's right there in the midst of things. He's interacting. He is asking them questions. Can you picture it? Jesus, 12-year-old boy. I was thinking this week, we, we raised three boys ourselves, and I was thinking about what they were doing when they were 12, you know, like they're playing with Legos, riding the bike in the neighborhood, jumping on the trampoline, playing with the Xbox. This is what they were doing when they were 12. But Jesus is sitting among and interacting with the teachers of Israel. And Luke says, and all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. The scribes, the rabbis, 
Everyone who heard Jesus as he's interacting in this setting, they were amazed. And the idea of that word amazed, I mean, they were besides themselves in amazement. They were astonished at what they were seeing. In our day, we would take a video of this and post it on social media, and we would have thousands of likes real quickly because it's just amazing what Jesus is doing here as he interacts with these teachers. As a 12-year-old boy, he was exceptional. What they saw was wisdom. And Luke highlights that by bracketing this story with these two statements about Jesus' growing wisdom. He was just 12 years old, but he was wise. Years later, when Jesus begins his teaching ministry, his teaching was such that it continued to provoke amazement as people saw the wisdom and the power of his teaching. I want to look at a couple of examples. In Matthew 13, we, we read of a time when Jesus is teaching in his hometown. In uh, Matthew 13, 54, it says, And he came to his hometown, and he began teaching them in their synagogue with the result that they were astonished. It's the same word as amazed in that other passage. They were beside themselves in amazement. It says, where did they, they say, where did this man acquire this wisdom and these miraculous powers? Is this not the carpenter's son? Is his mother not called Mary and his brothers, James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas? And his sisters, are they not all with us? Where then did this man acquire all of these things? And they took offense at him. These people who knew Jesus, they knew him as he was growing up. They're trying to put all the facts together to make sense of what they were hearing from Jesus. And it didn't make sense. They knew his dad. They knew his mom. They knew his brothers. They knew his sisters. They knew that he was just a carpenter's son. They knew he didn't have any formal rabbinical training. And yet here he was teaching with profound wisdom and exhibiting miraculous powers. Unfortunately, they took offense at him. They, they did not have fear of God, right? Fear of God that causes you to want to move towards it. They, they took offense at him. And, and rather than receive wisdom, they really rejected what Jesus offered. But Jesus is wise. His hometown saw it. They just didn't understand. They did not move towards him. In Mark 21, we find another example of how people responded to Jesus' teaching. It says, they, Jesus and his disciples, they went into Capernaum. And immediately on the Sabbath, Jesus entered the synagogue and he began to teach. And they were amazed at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one having authority, not as their scribes. The passage doesn't use the term wisdom, but we see the same response of amazement to the power and the wisdom of Jesus' teaching. And they were amazed, it says, because he was teaching as one having authority, not as their scribes. The way the scribes would typically teach is they would teach citing other rabbis. So-and-so rabbi has said, therefore, this is how I interpret the law. It's a lot like when, uh, you know, Supreme Court rule on things or in court of law, they cite other rulings, right? They, that's the basis of things that they declare. And that's how the rabbis taught. But, but Jesus didn't teach as the scribes did because he in and of himself was the ultimate authority, so Jesus didn't say, Rabbi so-and-so says this, therefore, Jesus said, truly, truly, I say to you. 
categorically different how he taught. He, he spoke with authority. He spoke with wisdom. And the people were amazed. Let's look at one more example from Jesus' teaching ministry. In Matthew 12, there's a story of how there's this, this growing controversy between Jesus and the religious leaders. He's doing things that offend them, uh, like healing on the, the Sabbath, and, and that's what's happening in the context here. And in that context, the scribes and the Pharisees, they come to Jesus and they challenge him to produce a sign. But Jesus refuses to do so. And he says this. But he answered and he said to them, an evil and an adulterous generation craves a sign. And so no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah the prophet. For just as Jonah was in the stomach of the sea monster for three days and three nights, so will the Son of Man be in the heart of the earth for three days and three nights. The men of Nineveh will stand up with this generation at the judgment and will condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. The queen of the south will rise up with this generation at the judgment and will condemn it because she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, something greater than Solomon is here. Two weeks ago, we, we looked at Solomon, right? We, we saw how he was considered the wisest man on earth. Steve talked about how he contributed a great deal of, of the content of our, our wisdom literature. He was so wise, and we saw this. The, the, the queen of the south, the queen of Sheba, traveled from a foreign land to seek out his wisdom because there was no one like him in all of the world. And yet Jesus says, something greater than Solomon is here. Jesus, he's talking about himself. Solomon was the wisest man in all the world in his day, but Jesus is greater. Jesus is greater in his wisdom. Over and over and over again, the Gospels reveal Jesus' wisdom. He was wise as a boy, and as a man, his teaching and his life revealed a kind of wisdom that time and time again caused people to be amazed. There never has been anyone like him. If you want to become wise, walk with Jesus. If you want to become wise, listen to him. If you want to become wise, walk as a disciple of Jesus. Now, what we see demonstrated in the pages of the Gospels, it's explicitly taught in the epistles. Paul talked about the wisdom of Jesus in a number of different places. I want to look briefly at one passage. I want to look at uh, Colossians chapter 2, starting in verse 1. We looked at this this summer as we, we walked through the book of Colossians. But, but Paul writes to the Colossians, and in 2 1, he says, For I want you to know how great a struggle I have in, in your behalf and for those who are at Laodicea and for all those who have not personally seen my face, that their hearts may be encouraged, having been knit together in love, and that they would attain to all the wealth that comes from the full assurance of understanding, resulting in a true knowledge of God's mystery, that is, Christ, 
himself. And so Paul's telling him, I, we, I have toiled, I have struggled to see the gospel established among the Gentiles. Specifically, he wants him to come to a true knowledge about God's mystery, Christ, right? Because he is the source of wisdom. Here's what he says about Jesus. Jesus, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I want you to come to a true knowledge of Jesus because he's the true treasure of wisdom and knowledge. There were false teachers in Colossae. They were seeking to pull the Colossians away from Christ. They were putting forth other ways of wisdom through their teaching, through their uh, practices, through their doctrines. But Paul's point here is that Jesus and Jesus alone is a source of true wisdom and knowledge. In another place, in 1 Corinthians 1, 24, Paul says that Jesus is the wisdom of God. Not just that he had wisdom, he is wisdom from God. And so if you want to become wise, walk with Jesus. If you want to become wise, walk as his disciple. There is no one else like him in terms of wisdom. Now, what does that mean to walk with him? You know, for the disciples, pretty easy to see, right? They literally moved through their days walking with him. They observed his life. They listened to his teaching. What does it mean for us when we can't physically walk through our days walking with Jesus? I want to give you a couple thoughts on what it means for us in our day. I think it starts with choosing to trust him, choose to trust Jesus. And, and I mean this in a couple of senses. Choose to trust him in the sense of salvation because, I mean, that's the starting point of following Jesus, right? We, we trust him to be the one who saves us. And so you come to him and you acknowledge that you're a sinner, that you have lived in rebellion to God. And you look to what Jesus did through his righteous life, through his atoning death and his resurrection for a right standing with God. By faith, you believe that he did these things, that you might be forgiven, Wash clean and be given new spiritual life. This is the starting point of a life of discipleship. This is the starting point of walking with Jesus. And one amazing thing happens when we trust him in this sense. Steve mentioned this uh, the, other, the other week, the idea that the spirit of God comes to dwell within us when we trust him. When we trust him, he gives us his spirit. And so he begins to transform our hearts with a desire and an ability to follow Jesus. And so you must Choose to trust him in this sense. But there's a second sense that, that, I, that I mean, and we, we must choose to trust him in the sense that you decide, you choose to believe that Jesus actually knows best, that he really has wisdom. You choose to trust him. If your approach to following Jesus is just to listen to him when it makes sense to you. There's going to be a lot of times you won't follow him because Jesus says, you know, his wisdom, God's wisdom is not our wisdom. His wisdom is far up beyond. And, and if, if we just kind of approach listening to him from the vantage point of, well, I'm, I'm going to listen to him when it makes sense to me, he's going to say some things that do not make sense from our perspective, right? And he says some hard things. Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. If you want to save your life, lose it. 
Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. None of you can be my disciple who does not give up all his possessions. Will we trust him when he says hard things that don't make sense to us sometimes? If Jesus is perfect in his wisdom, he's right about all of these things. These hard things reflect wisdom about how we are to live our lives. So you have a choice. Will you choose to trust and follow Jesus' wisdom and go with what he says, or will you choose to listen to what you think is best? If you're going to follow him, if you're going to walk with him, you have to choose to trust him. Choose that Jesus is always right, always about everything he says and asks of us. So trust him. Secondly, be a student of his words. Be a student of his words. Pay attention to the things that Jesus taught. And and he taught about all kinds of things that matter to us, all kinds of things that we care about as we walk through this life. A lot of us think about, like, we, we really want a, a good life, right? We want the best life. We want to live a life that, that we would call, you know, that's, that pleases us in a deep way. And, and we tend to think about that as what? Like, enough money, being able to take some good trips, having a certain kind of freedom, having a kind of power. Uh, we, we think about these kinds of things as, I mean, that's the good life. Jesus taught about the good life. Just think about the Sermon on the Mount, at the start where he's talking, blessed are, he's talking about what a good life really is, what a satisfying life really is, what, it's de- what a desirable life is. And he says, it's, it's this, it's this, it's one who's poor in spirit, in which we mourn and are gentle, in which we hunger and thirst for righteousness. It's one in which we're merciful, pure in heart, and peacemakers. So that's the life that's desirable. Do you want to be wise about money or about how you deal with worry or dealing with someone who has sinned against you? Jesus teaches about these things. Do you want to find true rest, true soul rest, or to know how to build your life on a solid foundation Jesus teaches about those things. He taught about prayer and fasting and what true worship looks like. He taught about the importance of unity as a church. He taught about what it looks like to abide in him, about servanthood, about what it means to be a neighbor. He taught about the nature of the kingdom of God and how we are to live in it. He taught about how to not waste your life. I could go on and on, but you get the point. Jesus teaches, and he teaches wisdom about all sorts of things that make a big difference to our lives, all sorts of things that we care deeply about. Observe his teachings. Pay attention to his teachings. We will become wise as we hear and do what he says. So be a student of his word. Here's my last suggestion. Observe his life. Observe his life. Jesus not only reveals wisdom through his teaching, he does it through everything that he does. He models it through 
through every interaction, every conversation, every choice that he makes. So pay attention to how he lived. Everything he did was an expression of wisdom. And so we can observe how he dealt with temptation, how he interacted with the outcasts, right? The poor, the sick. He touched lepers. We can observe how he spent time with sinners, how he entered interacted with the religious leaders of the day. We can observe his gentleness and his humility in interactions. We can see how he welcomed children into his presence, how he dealt with women and and gave them great dignity. We can pay attention to his rhythms of, of work and rest, his life of prayer and seeking the Father. Be a student of his words, but observe his life. It is all an expression of wisdom. This week, as I've been reading through the Gospels, I've been just trying to slow down a little bit and, and things that I've seen for, for, for years and years to, to really think about what is the wisdom that's revealed in this act of Jesus, how he's conducting his life. All of it is an expression of wisdom. So we choose to trust him. He's right about everything he says. We observe his teachings And we observe his life. This is how we walk with him. This is how we walk as a disciple, gaining wisdom. You know, one of the things that, you know, our world thinks a lot about is, like, what is greatness, right? What what, what makes a person great? And, And from a worldly perspective... It's having power and freedom. No one has to tell me what to do. It's, it's accomplishments. It's money. It's all of these kind of things. And we can sort of get pulled into that sort of thinking about greatness and, and desires for those things. I wonder what Jesus thinks about greatness. What would it look like from what's his wisdom about this? Well, he taught about it, right? There were times where the disciples were arguing about who is the greatest, who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom of God. Matthew 23, 11 and 12, Jesus said this, but the greatest of you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself shall be humbled, and whoever humbles himself shall be exalted. We pay attention to his, to his teachings, right? And what did he say? The one who's great is the one who has, takes up a place of humility and, and walks as a servant. And so we can pay attention to what he taught. But he modeled it too, Right? Think about John 13. He lived out this wisdom. On the night in which he was betrayed, and the disciples are gathering in that upper room, and and there was no one there to to wash their feet. None of the disciples rose up and chose to take that lowly place to wash the feet of all the others. But Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took off his outer garment, took up the towel of a servant, And he bowed before the feet of all the disciples and washed their feet. He took the lowly place. He took the place of a servant. And here's the thing. He wasn't just like, oh, I need to model this. He just was a servant. He just was humble. And that's how he lived his life. We can listen to his teaching We can preserve his life and see what true wisdom looks like about greatness and about all kinds of things as we live our lives in this world. When it comes to wisdom, 
There's no one like Jesus. He is wisdom from God. Everything he said, everything he did reveals wisdom. So be a student of his word. Observe how he lived his life. Choose to trust him knowing that he is right about everything that he said. Walk as his disciple because the one who walks with the wise becomes wise. Will you pray with me? Jesus, we thank you that you entered into our world and that you taught, that you spoke uh, truth and uh, wise words. Everything you teach about, everything you address, it is, it is perfect in its wisdom. We acknowledge that. Father, help us to choose to trust you. Help us to trust the words of Jesus, everything that you said, and to follow you in these things. May we be people who are truly observing your teaching, noticing what you said, paying attention, being diligent to, to, to understand your words, but as well that, that we would really observe your life. Jesus, help us to walk with you. Help us to walk with you that we might become wise. Help us to follow the one who is the wisdom of God. We pray this in your name. Amen.